Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Ahí va a llegar el gol del Arsenal Ophil. Marca Mesut Ophil. Arsenal marca Olivier Giroud, gol de los Gunners. This is Arscast Extra. Hello there, welcome to another Arscast Extra. As always, with James from Gunner Blog. Goodly morning to you, James. Goodly morning. Uh, as always, yes, I'm, I'm not in the country again. I'm, I'm away again. I'm in Morocco. Morocco, holy moly. The homeland of Marouane Chamac. Yes, indeed. And you're uh, you're in a, a sort of a lobby, a public space. So if there's any weird noises or people start singing or uh, whatever, <laughs> people can forgive you that because you're taking time out of your holiday to give them a podcast. So I'm I'm attempting to do that. Yeah, let's see how we how we fare. But uh, yeah, it's, it's very lovely. I'm in a place called Essoera, which is on the the coast of Morocco and uh, yeah it's stunning yesterday they had like massive all along the beach they had like organised football games like I think it's like a little sort of Sunday league equivalent and uh there were some really good players there. I think I just might get Arsenal scouts to come out, to be honest. All right. Did you do that thing that I always do whenever, you know, you sort of walk by a game of football and you're going, I hope, the ball, I hope they kick the ball to me. And then... Desperately. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and then I'll kick it back in such a way that they go, oh, would you like to come and play with us? And you go, yeah, <laughs> a game of football. Yeah, absolutely. Hang on, I've just pulled out my headphones so I can't hear you. But um, speak, sorry. I was just going to say that it's like, hurrah, a game of football. Yeah, exactly that. Like I, I was walking along the pitch, sort of desperate for the ball to come to me, <laughs> and so I could be impressive, you know, control it and knock it back with grace and elan. But it didn't happen. It uh, and to be honest, it's probably a good thing. I would only have embarrassed myself. Yeah. Well, look, I've I've seen you play football, and uh, it is a it is a wonder. It's a joy a to sight be to behold. It certainly but, is. A lot of enthusiasm. Yeah. <laughs> that goes a long way, you know. Yeah, it can do. It can do. Um, so are you feeling... Are you? I, I'm good. Are you feeling in any way, like, oh, uh, a bit sheepish about doing a podcast in a public space? Are, are you a bit freaked out by it? Or you know, does your natural acting... A little tone, bit. Yeah. A li- yeah, yeah, a little bit. Like, I, I kind of don't know if you can tell, but I'm speaking in slightly more hushed tones. Because yes. With the... Co- with the co- this could look very weird. With the what you just cut out there, so with the, it, it sounded like you said something that you uh, you probably didn't. <laughs> <laughs> I meant I, I meant with the content of this show, you know, with some of the questions that we get, I could look rather strange. Oh, uh, excellent! All right, well, look, I'll I'll make sure that uh, in the second part of the show, it's dedicated entirely to asking you questions about which farmyard animals or marsupials you would have sex with. So you lovely, can, uh, yeah. So that'd be good. Let uh, me just tell you, by the way, Moroccan breakfasts. Absolutely laden with jam, it transpires. Really? Yeah, at both mornings in this hotel, I've had 
I think, three types of jam provided as standard with others available if I, if I want. So what did you have? What were they? There was uh, strawberry jam. There was a date jam, which mm. I've never, never had before. And a third jam. I forget what it was. Now, it, crucially, it wasn't marmalade. There's no sign of any marmalade <laughs> at all. Well, what a wonderful thing and what a nice way for us to segue into the football because, boy, was that a jammy win we got yesterday. Smooth, very yes. smooth. I have um, to, I have to give, jammy. I have to give credit to about fifty people on Twitter who made that very joke. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, thank you all indeed for the inspiration for that one. I thought it was uh, very jammy indeed. I saw most of the game on a stream, which was good. Right, and, and I and it was that thing where it was, it looked like it was playing out to be a nil nil, and I had that slight frustration of oh. I've interrupted my holiday to, you know, <laughs> watch a, a relatively dull nil-nil game. And then I couldn't... I, I kind of retained the faith, actually, even as we approached the 92nd minute or whatever it was. I had a hunch that there might be one more chance in it, um, but I could never have foreseen a goal quite as bizarre as that, really. It was a bit of a weird one, wasn't it? Because we got a corner. Uh, I think we'd attacked and, and we got a corner, and I'm thinking, just just get it in there. Get the ball in the middle, mm. get the centre halves up, get everyone in there, and let's try and get the goal. And they took a short corner, and honestly, before I could even get my head in my hands, going, what the fuck are you doing? Uh, Alexis had crossed it, Theo Walcott nods it on, and then this sort of Oxielny muddle of hands and legs and arms, and the ball is in the back of the net, and, and we've won the game. Incredible. I mean, I haven't seen as many replays of it as I imagine you have. So, mm. can you break it down for me? Does Ox touch the ball? Is Koscielny offside when he does? What, what happens there? Okay, Koscielny uh, is not offside um, no. because Theo Walcott nods it on. Good target man, Theo Walcott. You know, he's he's great in the air. But I mean, again, that maybe speaks to the yeah, yeah. the desire of Theo Walcott this season. He nods it on. Koscielny is not offside. Now, if Ox hits it into Koscielny and then it goes in off his arms, he's certainly offside. But what mm. the super, super slow-mo replays show, I mean, I think initially everyone thought that Oxlade-Chamberlain had hit it and then it bounced up into Koscielny and, and into the net. But That's I think, what I thought. Yeah. yeah. But uh, what the replays show is that Oxlade-Chamberlain kind of kind of kicks the back of Koscielny's foot. He doesn't necessarily kick the ball. Koscielny makes terrible contact with the ball. Um, if it hadn't bounced up and hit him in the arms and, you know, the hands and gone in, it probably would have gone over the bar. It was, it was not going in, I don't think, unless it hit Koscielny. So it's certainly not offside, but the ball has gone in off his arms and off his hands. Yeah. Now, but it's definitely not a deliberate handball. I mean, there's no question about that. He's just kind of trying to make contact with the ball and he's like, um, and it hits him and goes in. So it's a, it's a bit of a strange one. I think if we had conceded a goal like that, if we had conceded that goal in the last minute, as gooding mm. as it would be to concede a goal in the last minute anyway, I think I probably would have been a bit annoyed about the handball aspect of it. Of course. More, more than a bit, surely. Yeah. Um, so I can understand Burnley's frustration, A, at, at losing the game so very late, but B, also the, the handball aspect of it. Even if it was completely unintentional, I think if you if it ends up being a goal that's gone in off your arms, I don't know, it's a bit of a grey area there, isn't there? Um, maybe the referee could have made a decision. 
Yeah, I mean, what are we supposed to think? That the referee saw it and decided that because it wasn't deliberate, it was within the laws of the game? Or that he just didn't see it? I mean, he must have seen it, right? He must have seen it. So I guess he must have decided that it wasn't deliberate. Now, there are a couple of handballs in the Burnley area. Um, as the game headed towards its uh, final minutes, there was one where the ball was was cleared into the arm of, of a defender, clearly hit him in the arm. And there was another one. I think there could have even been another one. Uh, but again, they weren't deliberate. They weren't they weren't ball to hand, or they weren't mm. hand to ball. It was ball to hand kind of stuff. And the referee he let those go, and and rightly so. But when it ends up being a goal, I don't know. Maybe a referee can can tell us. I mean, I'm not complaining in any way because he only said afterwards, we have to respect the decision of the referee, <laughs> which of course he would. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, look, a, a very, a pretty fortunate way for us to to win the game. Arsene Wenger said afterwards, we, we might have got a little bit lucky there. Um, and for Burnley, a, a bit heartbreaking. Uh, but look, you, you take them when you get them. And over the course of a season, you, you I think you've got to have those little bits of, those little bits of luck um, that go your way, and that was certainly one of them. Well, uh, arguably, we were quite lucky at the other end of the pitch as well. I mean, if had Burnley taken their chances for, for most of the game, although we dominated, it seemed like they had the, the more clear-cut opportunities to score. Mm. Yeah, I mean, they had a, a header that Petr Cech made a great save. There was one in the first half, Sam Vokes headed wide, yeah. and he really... He really should have uh, put that on target, at least. He should have scored from where he was, to be perfectly honest. Uh, they hit the bar. Um, and while we dominated the game in terms of possession and passes and all that kind of stuff, uh, it just shows you the, the, the fine margins, right? When it's nil-nil, when you're playing a team away from home, a set piece or a little lapse of concentration like we saw with Vokes being played onside, they can prove very costly. As difficult as it was to break them down to 1-0, um, I don't think we'd have scored two goals yesterday. So it was really important that we kept a clean sheet and obviously Petr Cech played a, played a significant part in that. Yeah, I think so. And I guess in a way, uh, we saw the benefit of uh, that we've seen in the last couple of weeks of scoring an early goal mm. and what happens when you don't get that. You know, it's that, it's that much harder to break teams down. Yeah, yeah, it becomes a bit more of a challenge. So what did you think of the, the team selection? Um, same team, more or less... Obviously, Petr Cech came back in after the midweek game, but more or less the same team that started the the previous two games against Basel and against Chelsea. I mean, you can understand why the manager decided he would stick with it because it, it was a system that's working. The team played very, very well. But I think we saw a little bit of evidence in the way that we performed that rotation is going to be a, an important factor this season because some players look particularly leggy. Yeah, I think so. I'm not surprised that he stuck with the side that, that, that played so well against Chelsea and Basel for the most part um, because I think there was that sense of with the international break coming up, he could probably squeeze one more game out of them. Mm. But they they kind of were on their last legs in some respects. Uh, uh, I mean, who did you have in mind? I thought, you know, Theo Walcott, we talked about his contribution with the header, but probably wasn't at the level he's been the past couple of games. Meza Ozil, another one who I thought 
was some way short of his best. Uh, anyone else stand out to you as looking tired? Uh, Ozil, in particular, looked a bit tired and visibly frustrated by the end of the game. There were a couple of times he didn't get the pass he wanted and there was one where he just moved the ball across field to El Nenny and he stood there and the shoulders shrugged and slumped a little bit. And I think he was thinking this is going to be one of those days where it just, it just doesn't happen. I thought Theo Walcott was actually one of our brighter players, to be perfectly honest. Um, You know, obviously he didn't score. He didn't uh, have that kind of impact. But, uh, you know, he was there for the goal. Uh, He worked hard. Uh, He made some good blocks and and what have you. So I thought he was one of our brighter players. I just felt that in the first half in particular, the passing was was a bit sluggish. That we kind of thought, okay, look, we'll get through this 45 minutes and we've had a... You know, a couple of couple of difficult games, and we'll see if we can pick it up again in the second half. So, uh, I suppose in some ways, the fact that there was no Olivier Giroud and there was no Lucas Perez available to the manager played a bit of a part in, in the team that he ended up selecting. Yeah, and what do we know about Lucas Perez? Was there any news of an injury for him? We, we presume a knock, right? Right, we presume a knock. That was the only thing that I could think of uh, in terms of in terms of his absence, because. Uh, it's rare for a manager to go into a game uh, without uh, without any striker on the bench, without a second striker. But um, Ed Malion of the Twitter, who you know and, and I know, um, mm. he tweeted uh, not long after the teams were announced, he said, source close to Lucas Perez confirms that he isn't injured, just left out of the Arsenal squad to play Burnley. So what, what do you make of that? Ooh, that's a bit of a surprising one to me. I mean, I was going to say that I thought Chibrakpon would be disappointed to not make the substitute he, bench. Has he got an injury? Yeah, he's got a back injury, apparently. I see. Well, there you go. I mean, that's a, that's a little alarming for Lucas, if that's true. And I'm sure Ed's got, you know, good sources on that one. Yeah. Uh, because when I looked at the lineup and the subs bench, it, the, the absence of a forward was something you noticed. And when we were chasing the game and looking for a winner... He's exactly the kind of guy you would have liked to bring on, really. Um, so, yeah, that's, a, that's a, a little bit of a worry, especially with after the international break. You'd expect Olivier Giroud to be back from this mysterious toe injury that seems to, <laughs> seems to not... <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, that's, um, that's, that's a bit of a concern for him, wouldn't you say? Especially after he did so well against Forrest in the Cup. I'm not really sure what else he yeah. can do. Yeah, I mean, someone challenged him on it. He said... Uh, said to, to, to Ed, absolutely no basis in fact at all, like too much in the Daily Mirror and Mirror Football, sadly. And Ed's reply to that was, apart from the player himself telling people he was fit. So, I mean, I don't know. I mean, um, it, it's yeah. a strange one because obviously if a manager has just decided to leave him out uh, and not take a striker to a difficult away game and not have a forward option on the bench... That would be a little bit of a worry uh, with regards to to Wenger's thinking about Lucas. Um, He may well have a little bit of an injury. Maybe they were being cautious with him. I I don't quite know, but it was a a bit of a surprise uh, to me. Um, so that is a surprise, especially you know we've talked before about the circumstances in which he was signed. It was a quite a you know it wasn't necessarily the the first choice. So you you worry slightly about. I mean, at the end of the day, it's Arsene who's watching him day out, day in, day out in training. So you've got a trusted judgment there. But uh, tricky, tricky for it to see how, especially with Giroud coming back and 
you know, Welbeck not that far behind if everything goes well for him. Difficult to know exactly where Lucas's uh, impact's going to come, where yeah, his opportunity's I mean, going to rise. He's done well, though. I mean, he played very well against Nottingham Forest. He scored a yeah. penalty, scored a really, really good goal. So unless there's something else happening uh, on the training ground that we're not aware of or what have you. So, I mean, it just, even still, it seems a bit odd that a manager would deny himself a forward if he had Chuba Akpom fit, right? And he took Chuba Akpom... Mm. Okay, well, you know, there was something. But, you know, to deny yourself a forward option. So I'm a little bit, I'm not, not going to say uh, overly sceptical. Um, I don't think Ed is just making stuff up for the sake of making stuff up or anything like that. But I hope there's just a bit of confusion that, you know, the player says he's fit, but actually the medical staff are saying, look, you know, you need to be a little bit cautious with this injury, whatever it is, or maybe whatever injury he's carrying. But yesterday, again, when you talk about Olivier Giroud, that, that was a game where... Perhaps he would be uh, a, a great option from the bench in order to vary the play a little bit. Um, yeah, definitely. I think, you know, someone just who could have given you that focal point in the penalty box would have been really handy because as, as good as Alexis has been, he does like to wander. And I think um, on Lucas, just I think that's that final point. Hopefully it's one of those cases where the player... The player thinks he's fit, but the staff don't necessarily concur. Yeah, and we, we've encountered that in the past with the likes of Alexis. You know, he's we know Lucas is someone with that hunger to play. He'll desperately want to make an impression, break into the first team. So hopefully, that's all that is. Yeah. On the subject of substitutes, I thought um, I was obviously Chamberlain was involved in the in the goal, but I <laughs> by hook or by crook in some way or other. <laughs> yeah. But I was actually really impressed by uh, Mohamed El Neni's contribution when he came on because yep. Arsenal were getting very, very narrow and a little bit static. You talked about the speed of the passing not being up to what it was. And I think he's so good at just playing a simple game and shifting the ball, you know, utilising the space. I, I really thought he made a difference in that last 10 minutes or so. Mm, I agree. I mean, we spoke about it last week, didn't we, in New York? Uh, and you made the point that you thought he was quite or has been quite unlucky not to play uh, as much mm. as he did last season in this particular campaign. I think we can we can sort of see why. And there are there are positives to it in the sense that, look, this is a guy that you can call from from the bench. Um his quality is is fantastic and he's so consistent but i agree with you you know he he came on and i think he made a bit of a difference in the final the final 15 minutes when we were trying to find a little bit of incision with the passing uh, and i think i liked a little bit of what what Xhaka did in that regard as well that he he did try and feed the ball between the lines to to create space um when iwobi went off we didn't necessarily have the player in there i don't think iwobi was at his best by any means yesterday but he does provide you with that option um, so, yeah, I mean, mm. I, I like what El Nani does. Uh, I think he's super solid. Um, and look, uh, over the course of the season, I'm sure he's going to make a, a big contribution. But it, it's great to be able to call on him from the bench when you need to add something a little bit extra into, into the centre of midfield. Yeah, and I thought it was a smart change and one that, that, that really benefited us. I mean, all in all, and, and the other thing to say as well is that although Czech had to make a number of good saves, it's another clean sheet. What's that? There's got to be three on the three on the spin. Is it now? Yeah, it it is. Uh, maybe is it four? Uh, I'm trying to think. Oh, in, back. are we talking Premier League only, or? Well, we've got one in, uh, against. Uh, so let's go back. We've got Burn. Yeah, it's four in Lee a row. Basel, four Chelsea. in a row. What was before Chelsea? Four uh, in a row. Nottingham Forest in the EFL Cup. Um, okay, there you go. So that's that's a really encouraging sign. I mean, I guess it's it's three for that first choice 
central defensive partnership. But I feel like Mustafi is is settling in quite nicely now alongside Koscielny. And I feel like maybe there's a, a unit starting to come together there. Yeah, yeah, he was very good. And I think we've, we've got some questions on him, um, which we'll take in, in the second part of the show. Uh, but yeah, I mean, there's... Um, there's there's a lot to like about the last week, I think, because sometimes people underestimate how difficult it can be to go away from home uh, after a midweek Champions League game, even if it was relatively comfortable in midweek. Teams have traditionally struggled in, in those games, and I think we did struggle a bit yesterday. So you've got to give the team credit for... Um, for keeping going, I guess, and, and getting the result. I mean, ultimately, it comes down to, to results. How did you feel about the way Burnley set up? I saw a lot of people were complaining that it's like anti-football and it's too defensive and parking the bus. But for me, what what else are they supposed to do when you see Arsenal take Chelsea apart and completely destroy Basel in that first half? If you play an open, expansive game against Arsenal in this form, they're going to do exactly that. Yeah, I thought Burnley were within their rights to do that. And it, you know, very, very nearly worked for them. It would have been a terrific point and they were close to getting it. I thought they defended extremely well uh, in periods of that game and made us work incredibly hard for the win. So, no, no, no sour grapes for me about that. I mean, had we not got the win, <laughs> I might have said it differently. But well, yeah. um, <laughs> they're, they're very welcome to play like that every time we face them, as long as we get the, uh, the three points in yeah. the end. But. So that's two 1-0 wins against Burnley in the Premier League. So it's a difficult, uh, yeah. difficult enough place to go. Very tricky, very tricky. I think they'll, I think they'll, they'll be all right this season. I think they'll stay up. I think they'll get enough points at home to keep them in the league. But it, it won't be easy for them, that's for sure. No, no. Anything else then stand out in in the game? Uh, I'm just trying to think. Really, um, nothing particularly jumps out. Uh, I mean, I suppose it's just it's just that encouraging thing of different types of win, as you were saying. You know, over the past week. You know, we we demolished Chelsea. We took Basel apart, and then in this on this occasion, we had to find a different way to win, yeah. and were able to do that. And it's it's a result that had we had we failed to do so, would have felt like a big setback. It would have felt like oh, here we go back to the, you know reverting to the norm. Yeah. But the fact that we were able to get those points it means we go into the international break with really good momentum obviously it's a, in some ways it's a shame that it comes when it does but when you look at this opening period of the season from the first day to now if you take out that opening day result it's a really terrifically strong start and even with that to be honest you know it's a, it's been an excellent response to that initial disappointment so yeah. i think we have to be pretty satisfied with with how things are yeah unbeaten in nine games now so that's a, that's a nice little run and there are almost echoes of the the 2013 uh, yeah. season when we lost to uh, Villa on that opening day and everyone went berserk and then followed that up with, I think we were unbeaten in 10 or 11 games and we won we won most of those games. So there's a little bit of an echo uh, of that, which is uh, which is good to see. Uh, there was something else I was going to talk about. I don't know, did you, did you have it in catch Arsene Wenger's post-match interview? I haven't actually seen it, no. Okay, so I don't know if you read the blog today, but I'm pretty convinced that uh, he got a, He was having a bet with like Steve Bold and the the backroom staff. Uh, <laughs> he he was asked, uh, you know, about the the performance. He he managed to squeeze in. We lacked a little bit sharpness. He got <laughs> he got a handbrake in there. He played with the handbrake on. And when it came to the goal, he said, "I didn't see it." <laughs> bingo, <laughs> bingo, full Arsene Wenger interview, bingo there. So. 
Maybe uh, for the 20th anniversary, just reading off some of the great catchphrases, you know? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So, look, a really positive positive way to go into the interlull. You know, I think you're right to say that had we not got the result, maybe some doubts uh, would have started to, to resurface. I don't know if it would be like a huge setback, uh, but given what, what else happened uh, yesterday in the Premier League, to take the three points and close the gap uh, to Manchester City uh, and obviously keep up with, uh, with Tottenham, hugely important in that regard as well, not just for, for our confidence and belief, but for the actual Premier League table. Yeah, certainly. I mean, that's. I didn't see that game at all. Did you watch that game? Was there a lot to learn in that one? Uh, I didn't really watch a great deal of it uh, um, because I can't remember. Oh, I was playing FIFA 17 for a bit. Oh, lovely. Yeah, I'm not very good. Really sure, not. there's a, a period of adaptation. Like any, you know, new signing, you're acclimatising. Absolutely. You're like Lucas Perez, still adjusting to a new environment. <laughs> but I was kind of half watching it on the on the laptop and then they were 2-0 up and then I was like, I can't be arsed. I just can't yeah, be sure. arsed, like watching Tottenham win. But apparently they were very good. Manchester City, not so good. Uh, which was always going to happen at some point, wasn't it? They were going to have a uh, a performance that... Uh, wasn't as convincing as some of their others. Um, but Tottenham, are they a little bit worrying? We spoke about this again in New York, didn't we? Are they? Yeah, yeah. I guess they are a bit ominous, aren't they? I mean, it's this incredible thing where you look at their team and they've got some some good individual players, but not not necessarily of the calibre of, you know, some of City's players or even, even United's or Arsenal's, but they, they function extremely well as a, as a team. And this was without... Harry Kane, I believe, he mm. didn't play. So, yeah, a, a little bit troubling. But then the the other side of the coin, the other way of looking at it, is maybe it's a good thing that they take points off some of our rivals because come the end of the season, invariably, we, we do manage to nudge ahead. So, yes. Yeah. I don't know. Difficult one. You don't want to see them do well, really, do you? A draw would have been nice yesterday, it, I guess. Yeah, it would have been. But look, it, it keeps everything very tight and nice at the top. And uh, the way City started the season, nice... Not that a Tottenham win is nice, but it's nice that they've got a little bit of a reminder that this is a, this is going to be a very competitive league. And when you look at the fixtures, when we come back from uh, the interlull, uh, mm-hmm. I don't know if you've had a chance to, to do that, but um, here, here's our fixtures uh, as we go into October, November. We've got Swansea uh, at home. Then we've got Ludogorets in the Champions League. Middlesbrough at home. Uh, we've got Sunderland away. Uh, and then, of course, uh, <laughs> November, our our favourite month of all time, uh, becomes very challenging, doesn't it? Because we've got Tottenham followed yeah. by uh, Manchester United. There is an interlull in there. We've got PSG and what have you. But, you know, if you can go through the rest of October when we come back and build that momentum, I, mean, I think they're, they're like we've got five games. Swansea, Ludogorets, Middlesbrough, Reading, and Sunderland. Reading, obviously, in the EFL Cup. But they're five very winnable games. So if we can, if we can get into November with a bit of momentum, perhaps we can blast through some of the the issues that we have. Well, that would be that would be just lovely. I mean, it feels yeah, that feels quite encouraging. That October fixture list, especially because the cup games, you know, you'd, you'd like to think Ludogorets, who we've got twice in that month wouldn't be particularly taxing. There might be an opportunity to rotate the side a little bit there and still have enough to, to do what's required. So, mm. yeah, I, I mean, I feel like we say this every interlal, but all we're doing now really is praying for the, the safe return of some of our top players. All right, well, we'll do that. Uh, and what we'll also do is take a break. We'll come back with part two and some of your questions right after this. 
Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort. So you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Welcome back to the Arscast Extra. This is part two of the show where we answer the questions that you send to us on Twitter, uh, at Gunnar Blog and at Arsblog. And uh, James, you found a nice quiet room, but it could be interrupted by a Hoover, which is the holiday version of Laurie, I believe. Yes, basically. It's, it's, it's exactly the same. It's the Moroccan equivalent. Yeah. They, they transport all goods on, on Dysons here. But um, <laughs> I was going to ask you, because a lot of questions are asking about some sort of sacrificial cow. And I... Have I missed something here? I've been away. I don't know what this refers to. Can you enlighten me at all? Uh, yes, I can. I can. Um, there was an unfortunate incident where the 938 from King's Cross on Sunday, heading towards uh, Burnley, unaware the final destination was, uh, a herd of cows got onto the tracks and the train killed eight cows. No. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, further trains were were turned back towards London. Tim Stillman uh, tweeted that, oh, first game I'm missing in nearly 15 years, and it's because the train hit a cow. But somehow they got there in the end, and he didn't miss, he didn't miss the game. But unfortunately, uh, the herd of cows uh, was, was, uh, was, was train assassinated. I don't know. What do you, what's death by train? Oh, my. Yeah. That's upsetting. It is. But, you know, as I know better than anyone, sacrifices must be made in Arsenal's great name. Mm. I'm going quad biking this afternoon, so, <laughs> <laughs> you know, the league title still, it's on. It's on, guys. Look, you're a, you're a grown man and I can't tell you what to do with your life, but, <laughs> but, but please don't. <laughs> I know, I know. I don't know what I'm thinking. Yeah. Um, I'm not thinking at all, I think, is the only possible conclusion. All right, well, but, uh, you know. Look, we'll, we'll, We'll take our chances, guys. We'll take our chances. It's the interlow. It's made for injuries. It sure is. All right. Um, well, will we do questions? Yeah, let's have a question by all means. All right. This one comes from at Forza, Forza Zebra, who's at uh, Lilidino, I think, 80. Um, and he says, Theo is playing great, but should we be praising him? It practically took blackmail for him to start performing and actually put in some effort. Do you think our fan base is too lenient with our players? Or has Walcott really turned into the player he should have been for the last five years? Well, that's an interesting way of looking at it, isn't it? I mean, you know, there's been I've seen a lot of uh, online discourse around this. Roy Keane wasn't too... Um, impressed, let's say, by Theo's recent form with the yeah. implication that he's had 
you know, he's had a decade to turn out performances like this and hasn't managed to do so consistently. I think that is an important thing. It, it has to be possible, surely, to praise Walcott for what he's done in the last few weeks, but simultaneously be aware that we have seen this kind of thing from him before mm. and he's failed to sustain it. So I think it's it's good to be uh, optimistic about the way he's playing and, and respect the fact that he seems to have made certain changes to his game that are making him much more effective. But at the same time, be conscious that in the past he's shown good form and failed to be consistent. Mm. So... You know, I'm encouraged that, that, you know, I mean, I was watching through quite a grainy stream yesterday. I'm encouraged that you think he was uh, pretty good yesterday and putting himself about a bit. That shows that maybe that confidence of the last couple of games is sustaining. But uh, I think I think he's got a way to go before we can say he's changed. Well, before we can say he's changed, really. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's I think that's entirely fair. I'm very look. Uh, I'm a bit of a Walcott uh, skeptic, but I'm very happy with the way he's playing this season and. Uh, I hope it really continues because when he does play like that, well, that's fantastic. That's what you want from your players. Mm. Um, I suppose we have to sometimes take into account the human element. There are other things that affect the player's form um, rather than just his individual outlook. You know, I found some of the comments a a little bit strange. Uh, I discussed this on the Arscast on Friday with Rory Smith about, you know, he's 27 years of age and he's having this light bulb moment. Um, but you know, maybe it's just a, a whole load of a whole load of factors uh, that come together with that. As for whether fans are too lenient with players, look, some <laughs> some favourite players get away with a bit more than others. It would be fair to say other players get criticised uh, more aggressively or, or perhaps a bit more unfairly uh, because of the reputation that they have with within the fan base. Walcott is a guy who I think for a number of years was a little bit protected by, you know, he was a, you know, he's English, he was clean cut, he had a good image, um, and people wanted him to, to succeed. Uh, but I think in the last couple of seasons, there was growing frustration with, with the way that he was performing. Uh, so I'm not sure he was necessarily protected, but look, I'm with you. Let's let's assess where we are in three months and six months and at the end of the season. If Theo Walcott has had uh, this kind of impact throughout the season, then we can say, okay, great. Now do it next season. Do it. He's still only 27, so he's got the potential to do it. So I think rightly he's getting praise and credit for what he's done, but I think people are, just want to see him continue it. So um, let's hope he can do it. Yeah, definitely. I think, you know, I think it's... It's great the way he's been playing, and it has taken a massive kick up the arse for him to turn it around. Yeah, uh, let's just see how long. Let's see how big a kick it was, and how, yeah, yeah, sore, yeah. how sore it remains over the over the remainder. Does of Does he still have a big bruise on his arse? Exactly. Uh, I, yeah, come on. If not, let's give him another kick. Let's hire Granite Xhaka to mm. you know just run up to him and smash him <laughs> between his buttocks. Uh, oh, just that before, worse. Yeah, it does. Just before we go on, uh, we just got a comment on uh, Arse Blog News on uh, so a picture post and uh, ads is the name of the person who left a comment who says, interesting how Koscielny always seems to injure himself when he scores. He's like the on-pitch version of Gunnar Blog. <laughs> <laughs> that's true, actually. But, uh, you know, I, I admire him for that. I know I know that that's a greater skill, perhaps, than people give credit. Well, you know, uh, it also could come down to a bit of bravery. So, Well, I know that in my case, that's certainly not. Yeah, factor, yeah I, was talking, I was talking about Koscielny. Exclusively yeah, about Koscielny. Yeah. 
Um, let's have another question. Uh, what shall we have? Okay, this is from uh, Adam Samuel at Adam Samuel UK, and he says, We're now second to only Liverpool in stoppage time goals in the Premier League era. Does this demonstrate our hunger, or is it just meaningless? I, I don't think you could ever say that uh, stoppage time goals are meaningless because yeah. they generally have a significant impact on the result of a game. Uh, unless you're talking about a consolation goal, there's no way it's meaningless. I think it it is uh, down to... I mean, people talked about it, didn't they, with Manchester United, when they were winning all the time, the amount of late goals they would score, whether they were injury time goals or goals that were late in the game. People would talk about how this was part of their character, part of what made them such a great side. So, uh, look, I don't think you can say over the course of the Premier League era that all the Arsenal sides have been great, but maybe there is just something within the character of the of the teams that, that make sure they keep going. Um Maybe, too, there's something in there that says we have a bit too often been looking for <laughs> late goals. Um, mm. You know, that that when you score them, uh, it can often come in a, in a game where you're, where you're uh, desperately trying to get an equaliser or get a winner. Um, so... Yeah, that's the thing. It's like, it's like being... It's like having the goalkeeper who makes the most brilliant saves. I mean, it's kind of commendable, but you, ideally you don't want to need it, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, exactly. Exactly. You'd rather be 2 or 3-0 up. So, um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's a difficult one, isn't it? I think, ultimately, late goals are fantastic. Everybody loves a late winner or a, a late equaliser. Um, and I think it does speak to the way that a team continues and doesn't give up and keeps going right until the, the very final whistle. Um, but I don't know that you can draw too many significant conclusions from it. Uh, it might be just a, a statistical anomaly based on shit. <laughs> yeah, I think that's fair. I yeah. think that's fair. That's I think a- if it was like, you know, I think this season we have shown a certain hunger, but I'm not necessarily sure, and I'm an Arsenal fan, that you could use that as a, you know, an, adject- an archetypal adjective for our teams in the Premier League era. Um, I hope that's not considered unfair mm. assessment but uh, sure. I think yeah desperation's been a bigger factor at times than uh, than desire right okay well look here here's a question from Jane Cavendish at jcav90 and she wants to know when teams park the bus why do we keep trying to attack through the middle of packed narrow defenses for 92 minutes I don't know <laughs> <laughs> um, because that's Arsene Wenger's I don't know the style that he's that he's adopted for this team, and that it's long has been. You know, there's always been a for, well, for a good few seasons now. There's been that sense of Arsenal meticulously trying to carve a way through a packed defence. I think that's as frustrating as we find that. I think that he must find something aspirational in it. I and mean, if you asked him about his favourite Arsenal goals, you suspect the likes of you know Jack Wilshere against Norwich, that brilliant Thomas Rodzitski goal with mm. those one twos of Olivier off Olivier Giroud would figure highly among his choices. And we and we enjoy them when they come off. And I think that the training ground they play you know tight passing based games on smaller pitches. That's what they work towards. But against a, a mass defence like Burnley. I think Jane's right. You do need greater width. And in this side, with Alex Awobi driving in field, Alec, uh, Theo Walcott taking up central positions, really you rely... I think you rely on the full-backs to provide that, don't you? And, and Hector Bellerin and Nacho Monreal. Yeah, yeah. But again, if you don't have options in the middle, 
I mean, what was frustrating a little bit about yesterday was that we would move the ball wide and a number of times Hector Bellerin got the ball and I was looking for him to go outside the defender, uh, use his pace to maybe go past him and put a ball into the box. But when you look at it, there was probably nobody in there. He's looked up and seen nobody in the box. Mm. Um, And this perhaps is one of the games where Alexis as a centre forward, somebody who likes to drop off, is a little bit, it doesn't quite suit that game. Uh, the other side of that, of course, is if you put a guy like Giroud in there and you throw crosses in, people say, well, that's just meat and drink uh, to Premier League defenders. I think it's just a really difficult thing to do, that if a defence uh, is really well organised, Burnley have, for the most part, they had 10 men behind the ball and Vokes uh, only really dropped back to provide 11 men behind the ball pretty late in the game, the last 15 minutes, when we were camped in their half. I just think that if the defence is really well organised, it's very difficult to find any space, and that includes the wide areas. So maybe it's trying to provoke a mistake or provoke a foul, uh, you know, in front of goal or just outside the box where you can win yourself a a free kick. It's just a very difficult thing to break down. Um, And I'm not sure there's any one real solution. So uh, you'd like to see a bit more variety at times, certainly, to try and stretch the play. But again, I think Burnley would have been coached um, to deal with that if we'd gone down that road as well. Yeah, and I think maybe, you know, we talked about this already, but maybe the absence of Giroud in the team is partly... It it kind of dissuades us from from playing that wider game because... The, the, the target's less obvious, isn't it? You've got, you know, Alexis, he's all right in the air, but he's more likely to drop off to around the penalty spot uh, or, or even himself drop wide. Whereas if you've got mm. a conventional target man, there might be just greater willingness to get to the byline and put the ball into the box. It feels like you're playing the odds a little bit better. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I think once once you lose back, it will it will help in that respect. Yeah. But it's not it's not a new problem. Arsenal being narrow, that's and it, for sure. and also I think it's fair to say it's not only a problem that Arsenal face. Yeah, you know true. it's it's something that a lot of Premier League teams have to deal with. The big teams when they face the small teams and they're they're uh, playing a, a defense that is is deep and well organized and and parked. The bus has been parked. Um, it's not just a. a a problem unique to Arsenal. So. Well, that's the thing as well. I think the shape of your team, I don't know if this makes any sense, in my head it does, but it's always in part defined by the shape of the other team. You know, it's not like a, a team can line up and be like, well, we're going to put our guys here and then you can just respond to that by, mm. you know, the, by making the opposite call because ultimately there's a kind of man-to-man system at play in football where, you know, your position is always directly influenced by the, the position of your opposite number. So you get, you get drawn towards certain things. Sure. I think that's kind of unavoidable. Um, but yeah, it will be, obviously, when it is a compact defence, trying to get use the width of the pitch is useful. And I think that I think that El Nenny is someone who really helped with that because he just moves the ball very quickly in, in a very uncomplicated manner. All right, then. Uh, let's have another question. Yeah, okay. Uh, Let's have this one. Uh, Jack Whelan asks, how much do you think that Alexis's redeployment as a striker is to accommodate Iwobi's emergence? Um, Good question. Not not much. I think it's... I think it was primarily... I could be wrong... I'm, I'm torn between whether or not it's it was a move born out of necessity that's worked and now we say there must be a plan to it because it's worked so well. And Arsene Wenger actually thinking that Alexis Sanchez can do a job 
or do the job as as main striker. Certainly, it's had a significant impact on the way the team performs and the way that it attacks. Uh, we didn't necessarily see it yesterday against Burnley, but there's there's a lot more fluidity. There's a lot more unpredictability about the way we attack. And Uwobi wasn't really at his best yesterday, but he is an important factor in that. He's a guy who picks up the ball and is always looking for the ball. Um, he can play with his back to goal. Um, I, I think it's just a combination of things that happens to be to be working. I don't know that Arsene Wenger has said, how do I fit Uwobi in my team best? Okay, well, I'll use, I'll use Alexis as a striker. I think... He sees that Iwobi works well with a mobile forward. We we saw it last season, didn't we, with, with Danny Welbeck. Mm, yeah. um, so I think he's picking Iwobi more because he really likes what Iwobi does and what Iwobi could be. Uh, and the Alexis thing is is a little bit secondary to that. I think you're. I think you're right. I think Ale- I think Iwobi's more. He's kind of a, in some ways, he's a beneficiary of the Alexis thing. I still firmly believe that the Alexis thing wasn't really part of a long-term plan. I, I, I find I find that difficult to envisage. You know, having spent so much of the summer chasing other opportunities in terms of forward, and, and indeed the last couple of years, mm. I, I'm not sure that it was part of the plan. But how often do things come together, you know, in part by accident rather than design. and Coquelin. Exactly. Coquelin's a great example. I mean, even even Cazorla as a deep-lying midfielder, I'm not sure was ever necessarily uh, a kind of long-term consideration. Mm. Think of how long he played in attacking roles. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I think... Uh, and, you know, Bellerin even, his emergence was primarily because Debussy picked up so many injuries. Yeah. Um, so, so things things happen in a side, and it just so happens that it seems to have clicked a little with Alexis up top. I think Iwobi is a really important part of that, though. Even when he doesn't play that well, his ability to find space between the lines, you know, between the defence and the midfield, and to and to in those channels, in those gaps between fullback and centre half, yeah, is really good. He's got a really natural aptitude for that, and it gives us a flexibility in attack that I think's. In, Incredibly important. So invariably, we've this year, this mm. calendar year, we've been a better side with him in it. Okay. Uh, this question comes from Ronan Gallagly. Uh, his uh, Twitter is at Chuck underscore Ridewell. Uh, so, <laughs> but he wants to know: Is it too early to say that Mustafi is a fucking, fucking, fucking beast of a player? <laughs> um, I, well, I don't know if it is, you know, because I think those attributes that probably lead him to say that are always going to be there. He's very physical, you know. He's he's robust. He's quick. He's strong, um, and he's and he combines that with a lot of technical ability as well. I think time will tell. I think quite how good a defender he is in the strategic sense. Yeah, I'm not sure we've seen that tested fully, but he's a hell of an athlete, and in the Premier League, that's a really good start. Mm. What's I, your perception? Uh, I like him. I like I like the way he started. Uh, he seems... I was a little bit worried that he and Koscielny might just not complement each other as well as we hope. You know, there might have been a touch of the Koscielny-Vermalen uh, thing going on because they're both mobile, quick defenders who, who look to... Yeah. Look to win the ball high up the pitch. And there were a couple of occasions in the last couple of games where Mustafi... I won't say necessarily he was caught. I think there was one against Basel uh, where he, he tried to win the ball high up the pitch. And when you don't win it there, obviously you leave a big gap. Uh, but we, we covered well enough. Um, 
I mean, it's it's a very very promising start to his Arsenal career. He's good in the air. He passes the ball well. He like he, he looks to move the ball forward uh, through midfield quite a lot. Also, he's a bit ambitious with his passing. They don't always come off, but to have a centre half who's willing to 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 give us another another passing option, I think is great. I mean, it's only how many games has he played? Five or six? You know, so far so good. I would say. Um, and you look at you look at how he's clicked with Koscielny. You look at our defensive record. You look at the results we've got. It's very, very promising. Uh, but again, a bit like Theo Walcott thing, um, we've got to see a bit more from him. But I'm I'm really, really happy with what he's done. I think Arsene Wenger is even a little bit surprised at how well he's done. Uh, he was speaking before the game about uh, about the start that he's had and says it's, it's very encouraging. And then he said, let's go to Burnley and see if you can play a different kind of game where it's going to be a bit more direct. You've got to win the headers. And what I liked yesterday um, was that in the initial 10, 15 minutes, he struggled a little bit against Vokes. Um, didn't win the headers, but grew into the game and, and basically bossed the guy uh, for, for the rest of the game, apart from that one header that, that Vokes had. Um, did you enjoy the bit where he uh, stuck his bum into the referee? <laughs> yeah, I did. I mean, <laughs> that's, I, I, I'm always likely to enjoy that. I think it's interesting you mentioned the Vokes thing. If I had one concern about Mustafi, it would maybe be that I'm not necessarily convinced by his his that his aerial ability is you know up to the standard of six foot seven per Mertesacker. <laughs> Um, but I, I, I think you know that's just because I haven't seen enough really to know how quite how good he is in yeah. the air. On on the ground, I think he's <clears throat> on the ground. I think he's very strong. I also think that his passing ability, like you mentioned, the success of our team is partially dependent on how quickly it seems to me we can get the ball to say Meza Özil. And you know when you think about Özil's season last season, I think one of the things that's overlooked often is he faded in the second half of the campaign and a lot of that was put on him. But I also think a lot of that's to do with the fact that Santi Cazorla wasn't in the side at that point because Cazorla is so good at finding Özil from deep. And I think what Mustafi gives us is another player with the ambition and the technical ability to look for Ozil early, I know. I know our tactic is then beyond give the ball to Meza Ozil, but it's it's a pretty useful thing to be able to do. <laughs> so I think you know the, the addition of Mustafi, the addition of Shaka, people who are going to be able to have that that vision and the the ability to pick out those passes from very deep in the pitch, is some is a big a big bonus to the side. So mm. yeah, I've been massively encouraged. I think the only one of the, well, not the only, but a caveat is. I, for one, was really, really encouraged by Gabriel Palista in his first few Arsenal performances. And, you know, with time, saw that there were kind of tactical deficiencies maybe in his game. So I think a a little bit of caution at this early stage is also appropriate. Yeah, let's enjoy it, but let's not get carried away. Like the team itself are saying, uh, you know, let's, um, you know, let's keep our feet on the ground a little bit, so... Yeah, but I mean, you know, it's funny, we talk about the depth in central midfield, but theoretically, you know, come the second half of the season, we might have real depth at centre-half too. You know, you consider, I mentioned Gabriel there, Rob Holdings had a very promising start to his Arsenal career, um, and then you've got Per Mertesacker to come back. Mm. Uh, You know, Callum Chambers playing the part of Jack Wilshere in defence, almost, you know, sent out on loan. So... uh, We've talked about this a lot, but the squad depth this season is is far superior to it has to that that, that it has been in previous years, and yeah. that's a, a nice thing. Okay, cool. Your question. 
My question, um, let me have a little look. You'd think, again, it's incredible that I, I don't have them prepped. This one's from Tokyo Guna, who's at Komedo Guna. And they, uh, they ask, nobody talks about Campbell now. Was that decision by Wenger correct? Um, when, you've, when you're unbeaten in nine games <laughs> and the guy that you've brought in to play where Campbell normally played, which was from the right-hand side and Theo Walcott has played as well as he has, well, then it's easy to forget him. And mm. it, the decision looks justified. Uh, I don't know really what Campbell is doing at... Uh, Sporting, uh, where is he? Sporting Lisbon. Sporting Lisbon, yeah. Right. So I'm going to look him up here and just see what he's uh, what he's been doing uh, over there, and what sort of impact he's had in what you would say is a an inferior league. Um, so he's got a goal, yeah, uh, which is on the 10th of September. But uh, boom, boom, boom. Is he starting? He's- He's not started either of their Champions League games. He's come off the bench in those. Yeah. Um, he started two Portuguese uh, league games, scoring in one. Mm. So I think he's, uh, I think he's made about, he's made five appearances, one goal. Yeah. So, so I mean, he's, maybe he's taking some time to, to settle in. Um, Look, the the thing that we have to take into account is what the manager sees on the training ground, um, and what his decisions aren't just based on what he does on the pitch. That's how we make yeah. our judgments on a player, almost one hundred percent. Apart from maybe what what they might say, we make our decisions one hundred percent based on what they do when they play for us. A manager mm. is making his decisions based on what they do on the pitch how they behave during training, how well they train. Uh, He obviously knows, uh, you know, if a player is uh, smart or not so smart, uh, is he in any way disruptive? And I'm not saying Campbell is any of those things, but the manager has many more uh, ways of of making a decision. Um, So, so far, you would say that it's, it's a decision that has been justified, maybe, a little bit later in the season, we might say, well, it would be, it would be good to have uh, Joel Campbell. Actually, there was a question here from Ibrahim, which is at uh, IBB underscore AFC, who says, Alexis is sent a, for, uh, sent a forward, uh, Chambo out of form, uh, Gnabry and Joel Campbell gone. Do we like depth on the flanks and should it be addressed in January? So, you know, what happens if Theo Walcott hits a bit of a slump? What if he reverts to the, the Theo Walcott that we all uh, found so frustrating? Where do we go from there? So uh, that's a reasonable question as well. Yeah, I think that if you look at the composition of the squad, I think that quite deliberately space was left for Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain to stake a claim. And I think so much depends on if he does or if he doesn't. And I think if he struggles across the course of the whole season, then then yes, I think there is a case to replace him with a, a, a wide forward or maybe as soon as... January, like you say, he's got yeah. a few months to, to make his presence felt. Because clearly, moving Campbell out, the loss of Gnabry enabled, enabled him to get game-wise of got. So mm. I think a lot rides on how how he sees that opportunity. You know, the same was true of Walcott, but he's he's taken his chance in, in considerable style thus far. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Oxlade-Chamberlain, I think, is the one that there's, there's quite a lot riding on at present. And uh, it's a crucial... F- <laughs> how many times have we said this but it's a crucial few months for him 
Yeah, exactly. Uh, but I mean, look, his form hasn't been great, but uh, he almost got a goal yesterday, didn't he? Uh, which would have would that have taken him to three goals for the season? Yeah, which is a would be a dramatic improvement. Yeah, I mean, like that's as much as he scored in like the last two or three seasons put together. So maybe, maybe I think with Oxley Chamberlain, it's going to take baby steps um, in terms of his confidence. Um, I, I hope, I hope that he can he can kick on and provide that uh, provide that other option that we need from the bench because he must be looking at someone like Iwobi and going, that should be me. That should be mm. me playing that regularly in every game, and he'll know that he hasn't he hasn't made that decision uh, easy for the manager. Like the manager, there's no way he can he can sort of pick Oxley Chamberlain over Awobi. Awobi has come in and been given a chance and taken it with both hands. Oxley Chamberlain has obviously had his difficulties, and there's the there's the whole where does he play thing. I think that was an interesting thing. Again, talking to Rory Smith in, in the Arscast. Mm. Uh, something he said was that Walcott for a long time there was uncertainty about where he should be playing like should it Mm. be the right and he wanted to be a striker Uh, but now maybe he's decided that okay I'm not going to be a striker maybe a little bit of certainty about where he's going to be playing every week if that is the the right hand side of a front three maybe that's part of uh, why he's he's performing at the moment as well so maybe Oxlade Chamberlain has got to do that try and nail down a nail down a bit of a position so so there you go yeah I thought it was interesting uh, did he I thought it was interesting that he when he came on at Burnley he played did he play primarily from the right am I right in thinking that Oxley Chamberlain yeah he he moved to the he came on on the right and Walcott went to the left hand side which I thought was interesting yeah. I don't I don't know why maybe just to sort of because we couldn't really change we couldn't bring another striker on maybe it was to just uh, add a little bit of variety to the way that our attack uh, our front three was set up so all of a sudden Walcott is a, a threat for the right back and uh, the the left back has got somebody new to deal with in Oxley Chamberlain so maybe that's that's all it was you know uh, yeah maybe maybe yeah. Uh, but yeah, intriguing. Maybe I don't know. Maybe Oxley Chamberlain f- feels that the right. Maybe Wenger feels that's the place for him. I don't know. We we don't know. Is yeah, it? we don't um, know. Another question? Yeah, we don't know. We don't. Know. We don't. We just don't. Uh, know. We don't. We don't know. We anything. just don't know. We don't know. We don't know anything. Um, this is from uh, at Shady AFC fourteen, and they ask: Was yesterday's goal the best worst Arsenal goal ever? The Can best. you think of another equally good bad goal? <laughs> oh my god! I know we did the, like the best debut goals the other week, and I'm pretty sure there are going to be loads of scrappy ones that we that we're going to forget. That we don't I'm remember. Trying, yeah, because you don't you don't tend to remember. You remember a Granite Xhaka screamer into the top corner. You don't remember the one that's sort of bundled over the line. I mean, the Lauren Koscielny goal in the cup final in 2014 sticks out to me because that was a real was a bit scrappy. I can't. What about um, Go on. William Gallas scoring with his penis? Yes, he did <laughs> score with his penis, didn't he? That would definitely figure highly. I mean, we're not a side renowned for scrappy goals. That's the thing. Yeah, Robert Pires was great uh, for a rebound, wasn't he? If the the goalkeeper like spilled a shot, he was there to tap home the rebound. He was always in the the right place at the right time. But there's a certain element of skill to that and timing. Being in that position is part of being. Uh, as good a player as he was, I'm just trying to think of really scrappy, lucky goals. Have Have you got any there? Or uh, I mean, I suppose any that Francis Jeff has ever scored in an Arsenal shirt. <laughs> there are some like deflections I quite like. Uh, Edu scored a free kick against Chelsea, didn't he? 
and it was a deflection. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, That's a lovely one. It's lovely when a goalkeeper gets completely wrong-footed, yeah. I think. Yeah. I find that very satisfying. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, I think that's... I mean, that Koscielny one's got to be up there. There are bound to be loads of others. Please tell us on, on Twitter. Um, yeah, have a think. The, the, the best, worst Arsenal girls. Mm. Yeah, um, there aren't any others that he, are springing has, to mind. Say again? The things of beauty... So stay with you longer, don't they? The, yes. The little scrappy ones. Yes, they do. They do. All right, look, we're going to have one final question and then we're going to let you get on with the rest of your holiday and your imminent uh, demise on a quad demise, bike. Demise, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, this one comes from Gunnar in Hell. Sorry to hear that, mate. It's a, it's a bad place. Uh, but uh, And that's at bad underscore Waltersdorf. And he wants to know... Sure. He wants to know... What single word do you think is the most used by Arsene Wenger during his interviews in the last 20 years? Look. Look. <laughs> look. Look. I think I'd go with look. Look followed uh, by uh. <laughs> Yeah. The fact that of every sentence means that look's got to be a very, very strong contender. Yeah. Um, what else? Little, maybe, would be in there. Yeah. Um, Sharpness, handbrake. Yeah, quality is a big. He likes that. Yeah. Um, a game he talks about. But I think if you lose, if you use look as a prefix to everything you say, it's going to be difficult to <laughs> to look past that. Yeah. To look past <laughs> that. All right. Well, look, the connection is going a bit wonky here. Um, so maybe okay. this is this is a good time to uh, to call it a day. Uh, you have a great time for the rest of your holiday. Enjoy yes. your. Thanks for bearing with me. Not at all. Thank you for doing it while you're uh, on your holiday. I think uh, people uh, people should send you flowers and gifts because of that. Um, please do. Please do. It's uh, interlow week, so I don't know what's going to happen with an Arscast on Friday, but maybe, maybe we'll do something. Um, in the meantime, stay safe, please, James, and uh, we'll catch you on the next one. I'll try. Bye-bye. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.